Hello, everyone. Well, we, we're just um, delighted to have Michelle, Michelle Matisse, and Sarah Dobson here tonight. And tonight the sermon is on a girl's guide to sexuality. And next week, pretty sure it's Aaron actually that's speaking next week on a guy's guide to sexuality. Um, so we've got two girls up here with us tonight because we're going to ask them some questions uh, about sexuality. And it's a really significant um, subject. Uh, it affects all our lives tremendously. So I'm going to start with Michelle and say, Michelle, can you explain to us what was your attitude towards sex when you were young? Um, well, I was really confused when I was uh, younger. On one hand, I had my parents and the traditional church that I was brought up in saying, you know, don't have sex before you get married. And yet my friends and the worldview at the time and still is, seems to be, try before you buy. Um, the church only seemed to say it was wrong because um, God says so. And while that probably should be a good enough reason, um, it didn't seem to be <laughs> at the time for me. And I always thought, you know, uh, the Bible was really written for the people in those days and didn't really apply to me today at the time. Yeah, I was pretty silly. <laughs> mm. Okay. So there were other, uh, were there any other factors that led or contributed to making some unwise decisions for you at that time? Um, I guess the main reason was that when I left home to go to uni and I started working, um, I didn't sort of get connected into a church straight away. And um, once you start working, you find you have a few too many late Saturday nights or you're too tired to get up early or... You know, you have to work on a Sunday and you're young and you can't say no to the bosses and stuff. So I guess um, I felt that I drifted away a bit. Um, I also felt like I didn't really fit in with the goody-two-shoes Christian girl image that I always thought was out there. And um, I started hanging out with the wrong friends and drinking a bit and all your inhibitions just you know, fade away when you've had a few too many beverages. Mm. So they probably led me to not thinking very clearly about things at the time. So, mm. yeah. Brave girl saying all of this, aren't you? Do you have any regrets about the choices that you made? Yeah. Um, can't do it over again, but... Um, I guess when you first make those mistakes, you feel really guilty at the start and then you start making excuses to yourself and validating your decisions and you sort of turn away from God because you know it's not what he wants for your life. And it's just a lot easier to do that when you don't have the connectedness of going to church and having Christian friends to ask for advice. Mm. So mm. it's really easy just to distance yourself. Mm. So one of your biggest regrets would be your distance from God through this yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, and tough. did you try to go back to church at all? Um, yeah, a few times I thought, oh, I'll make the effort, I'll, you know, try and go back to church or even though you're in a strange place and stuff. And um, you think about it, but sometimes you just feel so much guilt and shame and that you think people will judge you um, mm. and... I think we forget how much Jesus really wants to forgive us. We don't give him the opportunity for that sometimes. So, mm. Mm. yeah. Mm. So, what caused your attitude to change? What, 
what made the difference from how you were living your life to yeah. realising? Um, I guess that was a pretty long uh, story after um, years, probably about 10 years of living life on my own and finally turning back to God, someone that I knew um, was leading the Search for Intimacy program um, written by Alan Meyer and they actually gave me access to the tapes. Um, so I started watching those. It was such a BFO, like, um, which is a blinding flash of the obvious. It's one of those things, just ding, oh, duh, why didn't I get that before? Mm. Um, Alan Myers was really amazing. Uh, I watched all of the nine one-hour videos all in one day because I just couldn't get enough of it. And um, he seemed to be finally explaining uh, the bigger picture of what, God wants for our lives, and he gave examples about how um, in every type of intimate relationship we have, we stick together and tear apart, and you always lose a little piece of yourself every time you do that, Um, and I figured that's how I ended up with so much baggage, (laughs) but yeah, we've all got a bit of that, I guess. Mm. So, but yeah, he was just awesome, and he just gave you reasons for everything, and just, it seemed to make so much sense the way he explained it all. Yeah. Okay, so... If you were able to tell us, what what would be the one thing that maybe stood out for you that would be helpful for other people here tonight? Um, Well, it's really, really easy to let outside influences affect us, like Mm. uh, magazines, books, Mm. romantic novels, movies, um, friends, and we start to think that things are okay. Like, you start to accept what other people um, think as the norm. Um, But you really have to, like... A, or firstly, make sure you don't let yourself get into those kinds of situations where, you know, um, you're putting yourself at risk, I guess. Um, You really have to listen to your instincts. (laughs) You know right from wrong. We know when we're doing the wrong thing or the right thing. And um, it's really hard to actually um, act on knowing, you know, when we're doing it wrong. Um, And we have to be prepared. Like, you have to decide beforehand when you've got a clear head, like, what will I do if he tries to hold my hand or what will I do if he tries to kiss me? Um, Will I allow that to happen or not? You know, because once all those gushy, lovey-dovey feelings start going on, it really messes with your head and you can't make a, a good decision and think rationally. So you really need to decide with your head first, like think about it, talk about it with your friends, um, uh, you know, read the Bible, ask, you know, wiser people than ourselves um, what we should be doing. So decide with your head first and then you've got to believe in that decision for yourself and how you want to live your life and um, believe that with your heart and then you can act on that decision when you need to. So you'll be more able to defend yourself. I think I need to give a sermon, really. That was so great. Um, It does sound like you've got it all under control now and sorted out. Um, What's it been like for you to try and live like this, to follow these steps and to keep true to that? I definitely do not have it sorted, not by a long shot. Um, God really has to pull me into line still. But um, I just try and be careful not to let myself um, be influenced. Like what we see through our eyes and hear through our ears is how we think about things. And um, so I try not to watch too many um, movies or read too many books that I think aren't saying what God wants us to hear. Um, And I have a really awesome group of 
true Christian friends that, um, yeah, just are always there to help me not slip back into bad old habits. Mm. So that's mm. pretty much, you know, just mm. pray. Mm. <laughs> pray a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for that because you've just been really brave about, you know, giving us a bit of an idea and not mm. in too much detail about your past but knowing that it wasn't what God wanted for mm, you yeah. and the journey that you went on to discover and I guess the change that it's made for you in living life now. Very different life now. Yeah. yeah. How special. <laughs> mm. And for Sarah... Um, Sarah, we were just going to ask you one question. So <laughs> Sarah's just got back from Adelaide today. And, and I guess, Sarah, um, the question was um, in relation to, to how you viewed your sexuality and where you were 12 months ago, we were chatting yeah. about, um, and this isn't a promotion for search for intimacy, but that was a significant mm. course for you as well. Yeah. But you, you did that and learnt some different things and you did that for different reasons. Can you yeah, just sure. maybe share, you know, why you did that and what you got out of it? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, for me, I felt like probably about 18 months ago, um, there just seemed to be loads of times that I was talking with Christian friends or non-Christian friends and these kind of topics kept coming up. And for non-Christian friends, they were curious as to where I stood on different issues. And for Christian friends, you know, we were trying to work things out ourselves and know what was, you know, what the Bible said about it and what God, how God wants us to live um, in that area. And I suppose um, that's when, yeah, I found out about Search for Intimacy and um, what the course had to offer. So last year I um, did the course with a, um, some other girls at the church and I guess one of the big things I remember is everybody in the group just said, this is, you know, this, it just felt really empowering and um, it changed from being um, head knowledge, things that you sort of knew or didn't know that, um, got how, of how God wanted you to live, but it sort of became more a way, a way of life, like from your heart rather than from your head. And um, I think the big thing that we all got out of the course is we kept, just kept thinking that everybody needs to know this and um, it's really important that um, that we can sort of band together and support each other in, mm. in how God wants us to live. So, mm. yeah, it was great. That's fantastic because we've really seen that you've been that for each other and you've been able mm. to, to help each other to live as God wants you to live, live your sexuality in an honour honouring way. Um, so, well done, girls. And, you know, it's it's just wonderful that you've really shared so openly about your struggles, but also, you know, how God has helped. So thank you very much. Can't talk about it here. Where can we? <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? I've got a giant clock here to make sure I'm on time and it's stopped. <laughs> so, um, so if I go 40 minutes, let me know. <laughs> uh, That's dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> See, I thought I'd do the right thing. Uh, let's pray anyway. Lord, we just want to give you glory and praise for just what we've experienced so far here tonight, the, the knowledge that you died for us on the cross at Calvary, the fact that we're now free from the law and we, we now have a greater law that's in our heart and it's written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
and we have freedom, Lord, freedom in you. Oh, Lord, I just thank you so much for the evidence of your beauty around us, Lord, beauty in your nature, beauty in your people, people like Michelle and Sarah, Lord. Oh, Lord, we, we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you guide us and that you lead us and you are everything to us, Jesus. Jesus, we, we just come before you now and we, we, we ask that our hearts will be opened as we just hear from your word and we hear particularly on this topic that is so important, so significant, um, a hard topic, Lord, and yet one that you, you yourself uh, gave us such great uh, guidance and wisdom about through your word. Lord, may, may our hearts as Michelle and Sarah demonstrated just be, be changed. May, may the knowledge go from our head to our hearts tonight so that we can leave determined to live differently for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> as Michelle and um, Sarah said, when you look at television and you look at magazines, the web, the internet, movies, billboards, um, just about everything in our society, you would think that human beings had one purpose and one purpose only, and that's for sex. You really would think that our bodies rule us, that they control us, um, and that sex actually is all human beings think about. Don't you think when you, when you watch anything that the media portrays, and particularly when they try to um, sell us something, we hear that very um, well-worn slogan, sex sells. Three little letters, one little word, which was intended for intimacy, glory and pleasure, um, but mostly has been used incorrectly and has been used for power as an end in itself, abuse and misery. And sadly, even though God has a perfect guide for us, for our sexuality, and it's from his word, um, even Christians have believed the lie that God is a killjoy, uh, that it's okay for you to do your own thing, that his standards are way, way too high. And sadly, as a girl, I have to say to the girls here tonight, but it's great for the boys to listen to this, um, I think we've swallowed the lie very often, girls. You know, I watched a mum the other day and she was shepherding her two little ones in front of her and she used her hands to hedge them first this side and then that side to keep them on the path, on the path that they were walking on. And I thought to myself, why is it so appealing to wander? Why can't we just stay on the path? Why give a sermon on the virtues of sexual purity when nobody is listening or interested? They aren't. The world's not interested. And sadly, lots of Christians aren't either. Why give a sermon that would seek to give you God's model and guide for sexuality when people much prefer to wander off the path that God has mapped out for them? Well, tonight we're going to 
hear three things. We're going to hear that God really does have a guide for our sexuality and it's from his word. We're going to hear that that guide was really chosen to be ignored and particularly kind of trod upon at the fall. And then we're going to hear the third part and that is that the guide has to be resurrected the guide has to be restored and we have to reclaim that guide for ourselves, for all of us, for our, our daughters, for our sons as well, so that we can go on and live life as God intended it. So this sermon is a letter from a generation of parents, but particularly mothers, because it's a girl's guide tonight. Um, mothers that have known regret who have wandered from God's path for them, to the daughters of this generation, that's you girls here, that they might be kept from our failures, our sexual misgivings. And I have to say I include myself in that because I didn't come to know the Lord until well into my marriage. And it's a guide for mothers who feel they can't tell their daughters no because years ago they said, yes, mothers like me. So this is a sermon not about the do's and the don'ts. It's a sermon about redirecting your life, following the right path and listening to the right guide for your sexuality, which is God, your true intimate lover of your soul. So I'm going to start by letting you know where we really get the best understanding of this guide and it's in your Bibles it's in Genesis 2 if you want to turn to it 18 to 25 (coughs) excuse me and it says the Lord God said it is not good for a man to be alone I'll make a companion who will help him so the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them and Adam chose a name for each one He gave names to all the livestock, birds and wild animals, but still there was no companion suitable for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs and closed up that place from which he had taken it. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. And Adam went, wow. Well, actually, no, he didn't say that in the Bible. Adam said, at last, she is part of my flesh and bone. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. The Bible tells us. You know, there will be two major decisions that you will make in life. The first decision is, what will you do with my Lord Jesus Christ? And so for those that are here tonight that don't know the answer to that, I'd implore you to not leave until you talk to someone about the answer to that question. Your response to him will determine not only how this life unfolds for you, but also what eternity holds for you. 
But there's another question, a second question, and that is the second most important question in your life. And it is a one that flows from your cry of your heart, the cry of inter intimacy in it. And the question is, will I ever get married? And if I do, who to? And the Bible tells us in this scripture here that God means for us to be in relationship. This scripture tells us so many things. It tells us that men and women are meant to be together. And it tells us that the woman was formed for man, for Adam, and the woman was to be a companion. And in the Bible, the word for companion in this uh, uh, text is an Isa Konegdo. And that Isa Konegdo is sometimes translated as a suitable helper, but in fact it means so much more. It means more like a strong warrior standing alongside her mate in battle. Eve was supposed to be like the one who came to save, to bring life to Adam. So we know from this scripture that Eve was created more as an Isa, as one that, that shared with him in life and to bring forth life. We also see from this scripture that God allowed Adam to choose who was to be his partner. God brought forward all sorts of animals, all sorts of birds, all sorts of fish, and they were presented to Adam, it tells us in this scripture. And it was really Adam's choice who was going to be his companion. And in the same way, we have a choice and we are to choose wisely. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what has righteousness in common with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? So even just going out with another believer is not enough to satisfy the requirement of equal yoking. Yes, it must be a believer, but just a believer is not enough. You think about marriage and what's yoked in marriage and you think about things like faith, like calling, like career, like potential for unity, your view of family life, your intelligence, social bearing, your emotions, finances, recreation, friendship and family, um, children, and sex. Alan Myers says that the, the greatest determinant of whether you will have a good marriage or not is compatibility. All of these indicators, if they're not compatible, have the potential to blow apart a good marriage. So the, the third thing we find from this scripture is, <coughs> excuse me, that Adam had to choose, but he had to choose very wisely. And the fourth thing we find from this scripture is that Adam fell asleep and it wasn't until the woman was formed and they were ready for actual physical sexual intimacy did Adam awake. The timing had to be right. You know, all over the world, girls in particular have been awakened sexually, 
have been awakened romantically well before they were meant to be awakened. You know, we can look at the media and I think one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen are the beauty pageants that are held in America with five and six-year-old little girls and, and they're dressed as women in their 20s with makeup and buffy hair and, and wearing, um, you know, little bathing suits and they're paraded up and down on a catwalk. They're five, six-year-old girls. Sexuality is awakened far, far earlier than God ever intended our sexuality to be awakened. Romance is awakened far earlier than, our, than romance was meant to be awakened. In her book called Kiss the Girls and Made Them Cry, Lisa Bevere says that, you know, the sleeping beauty that was asleep for many years came awake at the kiss of the prince. But girls, our sleeping beauty, our sexuality has been awakened too soon and we must put the sleeping beauty back to sleep until the right prince comes along. Does that make sense? Let's put the sleeping beauty back. As, as Michelle said, let's put her back to sleep. And the other thing I want you to note about this scripture is that he saw Eve. Adam saw Eve. Now, there's a big difference between male and female sexuality. The, the next slide, please. And, and you may not be able to read all these things, but, but really next week Aaron is going to unpack in, in far more detail the difference between how men view sexuality and how women view sexuality. But, but in a nutshell, men are very visual um, and women are, are relational and, and men are kind of like, it's described like the way they view sex is like a bit of a microwave. You know, it's a big blast and it's over and done with and, and, and it's done. Whereas women are like a crock pot and they need time to just, you know, sort of just just simmer away. This is very different. We come and approach our sexuality very different, but it's actually how God made us. It's actually how God made us. But these differences, these differences can create enormous conflict and can create such heartache. Um, the next slide too, please. There's a difference in our brains as well. And here we have the male brain and the female brain. And you can see that the male brain, there's a big area there for sex. And the female brain is a little bit smaller. Um, and, and relationships are a little bit vice versa. This is very generalising. There's a really big area there for shopping in women. <laughs> and and there's, there's a big area there in the man's brain for fun. So we're different. God created us differently. Our brains are different as well. And he saw Eve and the visual stimuli. She was naked. He just went, wow, this is fantastic. So the next thing we know about this scripture is that physical sexual intercourse is more than just our bodies coming together. 
it's really spiritual as well because in this text it says that when they came together, they became as one flesh. They were united as one. And, you know, this is what Michelle was talking about in the lead-up to the sermon. It's like, I don't know if this is going to happen. It might be the glue I used. It might just come apart beautifully, but it's not meant to. Male and female, when they come together in sexual union, there is a physical intimacy, but based on God's character and God's love for us and his intimacy for us, this is the sexual model. And so it has to be done in the right way. Otherwise, what happens is that when it's torn apart, there's damage done to both parties. Do you know that's the real reason that God wants us to have a guide, his guide for sex? It's not because he's a killjoy, because he knows, he knows more than anyone else the heartache, the pain, the destruction that's caused if we don't follow his guide. That's the reason. That's the main reason. And lastly, physical intercourse occurs between a husband and wife. I think it's quite telling where we see in this scripture that it, where it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. Already, Eve was Adam's wife. That was the requirement for sexual intercourse, for sexual um, expression. So we started off by saying there is a guide, and there is. It's contained in God's word. But we said that the guide was kind of stamped upon, you know, it was kicked aside. And, and we know when that happened, we know that it happened in Genesis 3, in the fall, when the serpent came to Eve and he deceived her and he said, you know, did God really say you mustn't eat of any fruit in the garden? And, and he convinced Eve that it was okay to eat of the fruit of good and evil. And, and we find that in that scripture in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, that she convinced Adam to also eat. What was she convinced of? Maybe as we look inside our own hearts, we can catch a glimpse. Perhaps she thought God was holding out on her. Maybe she was convinced she couldn't trust God's heart towards her. Maybe she was convinced that in order to have the best possible life, she must take matters into her own hands. And so she did. She was the first to fall. And in dishonouring God, she also violated her very essence. Eve is supposed to be Adam's Ezer, Ezer Connecto. Instead of bringing life to herself and her husband, she bought death. We're often like Eve, aren't we? We can so easily fall prey to the lies of our enemy. I did. Michelle did. Having forfeited our confidence in God's love for us, his ways for us, how he wants our sexuality to be kept for marriage, we fall for what the world says instead. We too easily believe that in order to have the life that we want, we must take matters into our own hands. 
and we ache with an emptiness that nothing can fill. Do you remember the curse, girls? The curse in Genesis 3.16, it says, To the woman he said, that's God, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. A woman is cursed with desiring intimacy above sexuality. But a man is cursed with desiring sexuality often above intimacy. And therein lies the rub. The way in which your sexuality is managed will have an, an incredible, far-reaching impact on the way your life unfolds. It is the second biggest issue that you will face in life. And I, I, I'm so grateful that Phil and Jonathan said we could teach on this subject. When you really think it is the second biggest issue, girls and boys, that you'll actually face in your entire life. And without a clear guide for us, a clear source of truth by which to live, we tend to live the values of our culture instead. Our culture is a war zone. It's a war zone for young people in particular. And our culture is toxic to healthy sexuality. It's actually incredibly toxic. I want to read to you just a couple of things from... Um, the last few years in the Melbourne Age and Time magazine. This is from the Melbourne Age. A group of high school boys in the US who tallied their conquests ignites a debate over teenage values. A distraught ninth grader approached a peer counsellor at her school with a shocking story. She had met this boy and really liked him, so she had sex with him. Then he brought his friends over and said she had to have sex with them too. She didn't want to, but she figured maybe this is what you have to do to be popular in high school, so the girl submitted. While denying charges ranging from sexual molestation to rape, the group of nearly 30 youths has proudly owned up to a competition in which they scored points each time they had a sexual con conquest. Their seeming lack of regard for the girls they were scoring upon shocked many Lakewood residents, as did the widespread perception of the boys as heroes and the girls as troublemakers. One more. The age, again, sex battle lines drawn up in primary schools, the war against women. Violent sexual attitudes to girls are common among boys in primary schools, according to an unpublished survey on school violence funded by the federal government. Grade five and six boys dominated their school culture and used sex as a weapon to intimidate girls, the survey found. Sexual harassment was so bad at one of the five Melbourne primary schools surveyed that the teachers banned children from holding hands. Girls at the school reported being threatened physically and verbally if they did not meet the boys' demands to tongue kiss and touch them. And lastly, one more. And this is by a, a professor, a David Bennett, head of adolescent medicine at New Children's Hospital. Adolescent sexual health is a serious but largely neglected problem. It is difficult for any of us to embrace adolescent adolescent sexuality with understanding because its downside is so scary. But young people who know they have their parents' concern, guidance 
and support on sexual matters are much more likely to achieve a healthy lifestyle and fulfilling long-term relationships which don't end up draining the public purse. Adolescents are eager to believe that sex is joyful. However, for many, it turns out to be destructive, miserable, painful, confusing, annoying, frightening and ordinary and they have no idea why. Wow. You know, sex bombards us. We're under attack from a toxic society. We're under attack. But we're also under attack from our bodies as well. So it's not just our society. It's our bodies too. Young men and women have sexual urges because your hormones are running rampant. But it's not just sex. It's food too. Who, who here hasn't, who here, sorry, whose body here hasn't just demanded chocolate under stress? Kind of hands up. Who, who doesn't demand chocolate under stress? Good on you, guys. <laughs> who, did you all get some chocolate when you walked in tonight? Yeah? Okay. We did that for one purpose and one purpose only, to test your resolve to resist temptation. So I want a showing of hands. Who actually ate the chocolate? <laughs> Come on. Is that true? I've only got half a dozen hands. <laughs> okay, all of you people, there's a special course for you, you men and women <laughs> on how to resist temptation. But seriously, we are tempted and we are bombarded from society, from our bodies, and we're also bombarded. Um, our sexuality is bombarded from our thoughts as well. You know, we have thoughts through the media. I was talking to a young person a couple of weeks back. They don't live here, they live away. And they're at uni. And now at uni, you can have laptops on your, um, you know, on your, on your desk while, you, while the lecturer talks to you. And this young man was saying to me, he has to make a beeline for the lecturer's face because if he veers left and if he veers right and if he veers down there and if he veers over there, all he sees in the lecture is porn up on the laptops, on the students' laptops. It's unbelievable. We're bombarded. And we're bombarded through our mind, through our emotions. And women and men who have had history of sexual abuse, when they come into their marriage, they're bombarded too with trying to have healthy sexual relationships while dealing with past memories. Oh, God's guide for sexuality has gone completely astray. And girls and boys, we really have to regain that. We have to reclaim it. We have to say, Lord, we want to go back to your guide. We want to go back to your model. It is the only way to live. We heard from Michelle and from Sarah. It gives life. That's the reason God wants to give us life. So what would God's guide of sexuality look like for girls? 
and boys, but particularly girls tonight, what would you have to do? Well, I don't think I could have said it any better than Michelle, but just briefly in winding up, I'm going to have a go. What would you have to do? What would we have to do to reclaim it? Well, (coughs) the first thing we would have to do is to reclaim what we call the spirit of the virgin. We have to reclaim that. And I don't care if you're not, I mean, I do care if you're no longer a virgin, but God has forgiveness for you and it's not too late to reclaim the guide that he wants you to live and how he wants you to live. It is not too late. And, you know, I guess the simplest way to explain this is, girls, if you've got a boyfriend, the guide is don't do anything with that boy that you wouldn't do if your father was in the room watching you. That's the guide. I'm serious. That's the guide. You might snigger, you might laugh, but that is actually the guide. That's God's model. Don't do anything that you would not do if your father was not in the room. So if your father is happy with you passionately kissing in front of him, that's okay. Go ahead. But if you feel uncomfortable about that, then maybe God's telling you something. You know, God isn't a killjoy. We have to reclaim the spirit of a virgin. The spirit of a virgin says, my body, Lord Jesus, belongs to you. I want to read you 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 20. It says, you say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them, but our bodies were not made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise our bodies from the dead by his marvellous power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realise that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which belongs to Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This is the point. It's not just a physical union, it's a spiritual union. And God has so much more for you. Um, sorry, so the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Run away from sexual sin. Run away. Put the sleeping beauty back to sleep. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a high price. We experience that tonight at communion. God bought you at a high price. So you must honour God with your body. 
Romans 12, 1 says, Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, your whole body, to our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we understand? We understand that sex was created as a bonding experience and it works. Some try to avoid the bonding experience and just have the physical experience, but it sears the ability to ever experience intimacy. Sex is powerful and it will change you. And it's so powerful, we need to know how to handle it. And it's intended for our life in marriage only. And sex is not ordinary. When we think sex is ordinary and treat it as if it is ordinary, we degrade it and set ourselves up for major damage. The holiest thing about your physical body is your sexuality because it is a physical representation of God's own heart for intimacy with you. So what would you have to do? You'd have to make sure that if you've got a boyfriend or you've got a girlfriend, you would reclaim the spirit of a virgin. Some of you might need forgiveness and healing for your indiscretions or your current lifestyle. God can provide that. Some of you may need to have a deeper love for Jesus as a lover of your soul so that while you wait for the prince, the right one, to come and awaken you, Jesus is filling that gap, that hole within your soul. Some of you may have to rethink about your friendships and start to go out in a group again rather than just pairing off selectively. Some of you girls may have to rediscover your girlfriends again and sisters in Christ. Some of you may need to find an accountability partner so that you can maintain your purity. You know, I was really praying about this sermon because I know it's hard. I failed myself. But thank goodness my Lord restored me and redeemed me. And so I'm no great model, only the fact that I have been restored and redeemed. But I don't want the next generation to experience the failures that this generation experienced. I don't want that to happen. God's got a better guide for you. God's got a better purpose. And when I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to teach? What do you want me to tell these girls? You know what my Lord God said? He said, tell them they're special. Tell them that they're special, that I love them, and that my love is so deep and wide and high and long that I want the very best for them. I'm not a killjoy. I love them, and so I want them to follow my ways, my guides. That's what I want them to know. I want them to know that they are not conquests, that they are not objects, that they are not to be seen as sexualized beings, that they are special. That's what I want them to know. You are special. Your sexuality is special. Guard it with your life and trust the Lord Jesus for your lifelong partner.
in winding up, 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. May God keep you sexually pure, daughters of the living God. Amen.